Production support for Soundbites is made possible by listeners and by Coffee by Design, growing a business committed to community and sustainability locally and worldwide. Coffeebydesign.com. Welcome to Soundbites, true stories told by local Mainers and nationally recognized storytellers. The themes are always changing, and the hosts are from all over the nation, but when you hear the name Soundbites, you're in for a unique storytelling experience. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. This week's stories were told live at Frontier in Brunswick, where the event's dedicated theme was touring. Here's today's host, New York-based essayist and storyteller, Bridget O'Neill. So without further ado, I give you Stacey Curry. Okay, so I met this guy online. And um, I'm just, for the story, I'm gonna call him Dave. Um, because that was his name. And things seemed to be going really well. But then when we were only dating for three weeks, Dave kind of invited himself on my vacation. And it wasn't any old vacation. This was like the capstone project of my independent woman world tour. Um, You see, many years earlier, I had married my college boyfriend, and almost immediately we had three kids, boom, 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 and then we split up because we were a cliche, and um, as a result of being this very young wife and mom, I had never really spent any time as an adult alone and had never gone anywhere by myself. And I was terrified of this. So I started with baby steps. I I went to dinner by myself. I went to the movies. And the more time I spent by myself, the more I loved it. All I wanted was to live this autonomous life. And I was often reminded of this bumper sticker I would see as a kid, and it always perplexed me. It said, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And you guys remember that? And so I was like on eBay trying to find that bumper sticker. And so I was coming up on the year anniversary of my trip, and I wanted to do something big to commemorate this, but I'm not like a bucket list person, so I I didn't have like any idea of where I should go. And then one day I was going through my email and I had one of those emails from like, you know, like a Groupon flash sale website, and I opened it by accident, and I was about to delete it when this picture caught my eye and it was of this majestic mountainscape. And I don't even know how to ski, but I clicked on it. And it was for a discounted room at a ski resort in Colorado. And before I could even think this through, I booked myself for a week there when my kids were gonna be away for spring break with their dad. And I just, you know, I just had this image of myself of making it to the top of the mountain and just howling into the wind, I can do this. Um, and I was at the same time though, I was dating like a little bit, but it was like, eh. 
And then I met Dave, and he was just really different. He was just, ah, we were the same age, but he had never been married, never had kids, and had this real bohemian existence. Like, the guy spent his summers in a yurt in the Hamptons, which... Okay, I'm glad you guys got that. Um, I wasn't sure. So, so I, I liked him a lot. And, and I told him about my upcoming ski trip. And then one night, he sends me an email. And he says, where's my invitation? And uh, I didn't know if he was being serious. And if he was being serious, like, did I really want him infringing on my independent woman world tour capstone project? Um, <laughs> So this was, like, this was like a hard decision. Like, did I want to howl into the wind or did I want to have sex? <laughs> so I decided to play it safe and a little coy. And I just, without any explanation, I just forwarded my um, flight confirmation email to Dave. And two hours later, he forwarded me his flight confirmation <laughs> for the same outgoing flight I was on. And the night before the trip, I was really excited. I felt like I had made the right decision. And I went up to his apartment in Harlem, which is where all the real bohemians in New York live now. And he buzzed me in. And I, I lugged my big suitcase up all five flights of stairs. And I get into his apartment. And he is sprawled out on the couch, like deeply invested in a Celtics game because he was a bohemian from Boston. <laughs> and, uh, and he wasn't packed, didn't seem to be thinking about packing, and you know, this kind of hit my mom nerve. And I said to him, ooh, you know, um, we should probably go to bed pretty soon because uh, our flight's at 6.30 a.m. out of Newark Airport, so we probably want to leave by 4.00. And like without taking his eyes off the game, he was like, oh, four? You know, I have to move my car for alternate side street cleaning. So I thought I would drive us there. We could do long-term parking. So we could probably leave at five. Now, in case you've never been to Newark Airport, it's, um, it's a little different than Portland. You don't just like drive up and park and walk in and like, you know, get your coffee and say hi to the TSA guy. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a logistical nightmare. Like you have to cross the Hudson River and I don't care what time you're going, Hudson River crossings are very unpredictable. And, you know, the, just the phrase, long-term parking at Newark Airport, that's enough to instill fear in the most committed of New Yorkers. And I just, I knew, like, five o'clock was cutting it really close. But I didn't want to protest because I felt like that would highlight our main difference, you know, I was this responsible mom lady with like curfews and schedules and bedtime and homework. And he was just, you know, a bohemian with a yurt. So I just, I told myself, you know, he's done this before. He's, he's more well-traveled than you are. Just go with it. And so I said, okay. And uh, we eventually went to bed, and I couldn't sleep. I was hanging off the end of the bed, 
on my phone researching long-term parking options at Newark Airport. <laughs> and I just, I was like, no, we're not. It, it's cutting it too close, leaving at five. But I realized Dave had set the alarm for 4.30. And we didn't really need half an hour to get out of his apartment. We weren't showering. And so I had this plan that I was just going to like gently nudge him along. And my goal was to be in the car ready to go at 4.44. So 4.30, the alarm goes off. 4.36, I am dressed, I am ready to go. And he's picking up on my pace and he's moving at a pretty good clip. And finally he's lacing up his boots and I pop into the bathroom for one last emergency pee. And I come out and he is standing at the kitchen counter slicing into a loaf of Irish soda bread. And he looks up at me and he says, would you like some toast? Like, it's the most normal thing in the world to be having toast at 4.46 in the morning when you have a flight to catch. But again, I just, I'm like, he knows what he's doing. And I just say, no, thank you. And I watch in horror as his toast pops up and it's not quite done enough. <laughs> so he pops it back down and it pops up again. And he like meticulously butters every single nook and cranny of that toast. And then he hand washes his knife because bohemians don't have dishwashers. And then he reaches for a plate. And something in me just broke. I was like, I am so tired of being a competent woman living in a sea of fragile egoed males. And, and I just screamed at him take that to go and just all of a sudden all the sexiness in our relationship just whoosh. and he saw me for my true self and we got in the car and it was just it was awful he was just he was driving in the left-hand lane when we had to make right turns he just he had the NPR on so loud and you know, I'm not going to disparage NPR on this stage, but Razia Iqbal at five o'clock in the morning is just not comforting. And, um, and we, um, we missed our flight. We, we parked the car and we ran up to the sky cap with our bags and he laughed in our face because that's what they do at Newark airport. <laughs> and we went inside to go standby for the next flight and the next, and the next. And we waited 13 hours at Newark Airport for a flight. And most of that time was spent in a Johnny Rockets. And I am here to tell you, or perhaps warn you, that if you spend 13 hours and have three meals with someone in a Johnny Rockets, you may unlock a portal to everlasting commitment because Dave and I are still together. <laughs> um, we are married and we have a child and fortunately a love of the Celtics and toast is not mutually exclusive from being a good spouse and parent. And um, 
What I learned is that the one thing I was kind of overlooking in my independent world tour was that I, I learned how to be on my own. Like, I'm fine with that. That's great. But what I had to learn was how to be independent in a relationship and how to speak up when I knew I was right, which is kind of most of the time. <laughs> um, and... and just how to not worry about how I'm perceived, but about how we could get through things better with my worldly advice. <laughs> um, so that's it. So thank you very much. Stacey Beatty Curry is a New York-based storyteller, writer, mother, and real estate broker. Stacy has won several Moth Story Slams, a Grand Slam, and regularly performs in shows in New York and beyond. She also teaches a storytelling class for seniors at a local senior center, uses a cast iron skillet daily, and plays a lot of words with friends. If you want to know more about today's storyteller, well, you're in luck. Let's join our host backstage, now in conversation with today's teller. We're here with Stacey Bader-Curry. Uh, Stacey, I want to ask you, what is your connection to Maine? So, about a year ago, my husband accepted a job offer, and the company is based in Portland. Now, we live in New York City, so he is commuting to work from New York City to Portland. And, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, he's gone, you know, maybe two weeks a month. And he just sends me pictures of all the food he's eating. And he goes to these bakeries and gets these biscuits slathered with butter and jam and these lobster rolls. And it's making me think maybe we should move. And Stacy. What got you into storytelling? My background is in creative writing. I did an MFA program in fiction, and I had been working on a novel for 16 years. And I finally came to the realization that I just don't have the attention span to finish a novel, nor am I really interested in finishing a novel. And I like storytelling a lot. Um, I, I didn't think I had the courage to get up on stage and share something personal. But the first time I did it, I realized right away that a storytelling audience is not like any other audience. They're warm and they're compassionate and they can relate. And so I really love storytelling because it's a project I can finish. I, yeah, well said. So I want to ask you also, um, how do you prepare for being on stage? Uh, do you have a process? Do you have um, anything that you do prior, kind of any kind of exercises that you do? What kind of pumps you up or preps you before you jump right out on stage? Or before, even like a day before or two? So when I first started, I would write out my stories. And I had all these Google documents that, you know, it'd be like version one, version two, version three. And I would constantly edit. And then I found when I went to rehearse that I, I just, I couldn't read this, that it just, it came across as very flat and very unnatural. And I, um, I stopped, eventually, I stopped writing out my stories, and I just started 
practicing them. And I practice in the shower. I practice when I'm walking my dog. In the day when I have, the night before I am to perform, I lock myself in my bathroom and I sit on the bathroom floor and I just keep telling my story to myself over and over. And I get so sick of hearing my own voice and my own story, but I know I just have to get through it and make sure it's on time and make sure I just, I know my major touch points. I know how I'm going to transition from one part of the story to the next. And uh, so, yeah, it, it all takes place in my bathroom. <laughs> wow. That sounds incredibly relaxing. <laughs> that doesn't sound stress-induced at all. Um, so tell us some nugget or detail that's connected to your story tonight that will not be in it. There are so many things that happened in this story that I just, you know, I, I would need half an hour to tell everything. But basically, the epilogue to this story is that Dave and I had a great time skiing. He had to leave a few days earlier than I was leaving to get back to work. And when I went to leave... Um, we were we were in Telluride, Colorado, which is the the airport there is the highest elevation of any airport in the United States, and they frequently get snowed out. And so I showed up at the airport on time, and our flight was delayed, delayed, and the fear was that it would be canceled. And I had to get back to New York because. My children were coming home with my ex-husband, and he had to go away on a trip of his own, so I needed to get back to New York for my kids. And I went to rent a car, and all the rental cars were all sold out. And the woman at the counter pointed out a man in the waiting room of the airport, and she said, he just took my last car. So I went up to this man, and I said, excuse me, sir. I really need to get home to my kids. You have the last rental car. Are you going to use it? And he said, well, I was waiting to see what happens with the flight, if I'm going to drive to Phoenix or not. And I said, if we leave right now to Phoenix, I can make a flight back to New York in time. So this man got in the rental car with me and drove me from Telluride to Phoenix, and he wanted to stop, and I said, nope, <laughs> we cannot stop. And when we were 10 minutes from the airport, he got pulled over and got a speeding ticket, and I missed my flight. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you write the screenplay for Trains, Planes, and Automobiles? Are you John Candy? <laughs> Was that Steve Martin? Because I don't know. Something smells fishy. I'm kidding. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad & Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. Special thanks also to GWI and Downey's Pension Services. More information about Soundbites, including how to attend a live storytelling event, can be found online at soundbitesme.org. And of course, you can always hear more stories at mainpublic.org. Thanks for listening.